good day to you, Rodney. Is it? I mean, it, it is. Might be. It is. However, moving sucks. Oh, again, awful. part again. two. Yeah, in in like three months. In like one week. Yeah, but it really no, depends. But, like, but in a. In a three in month, a three time month period, span. I'm moving yeah, yeah, yeah. again. Yeah. yeah, but when, but by the time they hear this, it'll probably have been completed, and my life will be stable again. Moving is violent, and it is. It is. I just don't like it. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I just needed to talk about it for a minute. Yeah, this is my these these are kind of my therapy the... slash kind of sort of commercials. <laughs> But I'm not selling so anything. The commercial, the commercial here is don't move, stay put. Don't, just don't do it. <laughs> no, that's not the commercial. The commercial is move better. I'm trying to <laughs> pay someone. We're out. Okay, out. <laughs>
when you tell them that you're in therapy and it's helping, they don't talk shit about it. All right, we're going to take a little break here. I want to tell you about something pretty amazing that we stumbled upon. A little ways back, we interviewed this amazing dude, Kwame Bowen, and he shared with me after the episode that his mother is a poet. And what's awesome about that is that he has all of her writings and all her poems, but what he doesn't have is her reading them. That inspired Keith and I to then start recording videos for our daughters. And as we started recording those videos, we started running into the challenges, the challenges of where are we going to send them to our daughters? How are we going to get them to them? Where are we going to save them? Is it going to be Google Drive? Is it going to be OneDrive? And then along came GiftPod. It's an audio memory that you can record and give as a private podcast. What they're going to do is edit, add music, and produce the audio that you provide them into a professional podcast that you can share with your family members for any purpose. We use it for our daughters in the future. All right, so check it out. In the write-up for this podcast, you're going to see a link to GiftPod. If you use promo code MIC10, you're going to get a discount. And uh, leave some amazing memories for your friends, family, loved ones, maybe for yourself. Why don't you time capsule this for yourself? I don't know. So check them out. Giveagiftpod.com. MIC10 promo code. All right. Welcome back to More In Common Podcast. I am your co-host, Keith, with my man, Rodney. And today we are with Jason Ferrari, often referred to as Ferrari, who is a longtime friend of ours. And we are very excited to have him with us. Colloquially. He has a combined 25 years of sales and marketing experience and currently works as a social media strategist for major technology and electronics brands. He comes from a radio background with a majority of his, of his experience in the Chicago market. He first embraced online radio back in 2010, where he was co-host of The First and Long with Brendan McCaffrey and Jason Ferrari, uh, The Morning Show. And since then, he has been co-host of two very successful podcasts, the Abaticola and Ferrari Discuss Everything show, and the Sports is Life pod with Matt Abaticola and Jason Ferrari. He recently launched his first solo podcast, the Not Your Parents Basement show with Jason Ferrari, where he has a different guest each episode, and they discuss living, loving, laughing, and learning with the goal of helping to promote stronger mental health. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, guys. I read that a little choppy today. My brain is working much slower than my mouth, um, which is a <laughs> role reversal in 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 life usually. Um, oh, you should have told. I mean, I would have read it, man. But it's all good. Know, Jason. I I I thought I thought I was ready for it. I was ready for it, and I just. I thought you did good. I I want to big you up. You did good. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, it was. I I. Uh... It's always fun hearing about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Having someone else Jason, read your it words. was fun to come <laughs> on your podcast, and uh, I'm glad that you're on ours now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. Uh, I, honestly, honestly, I can't believe that that much time has passed. I remember when we were talking about it, because that was probably in August, I think. Yeah. Or yeah. early September-ish, yeah. or maybe yeah. August. and. I, I go to like look at available dates. I'm like November, <laughs> yeah. and I, it seems so far silly. away. And then I got yeah. a little reminder email. I'm like, okay, we're here. We're yeah. in November. 
Now, now I need my my invite, right? Yes. Yeah. We'll bring it. We'll bring it full circle. Full circle. Maybe. maybe. Hey, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see call. if you earn it. So uh, let's get right into it. So, not your parents' basement show um, has the goal to promote stronger mental health. So, how did that goal come about? In other words, what is the driving force behind the goal to promote stronger mental health? Well, I can uh, start by giving you the driving force behind the name. Um, so on our on my previous shows, uh, we would have a lot of people who had opinions. Um, and the running joke was, you know, how's life at your mom's house in the, you know, in the basement? Like, I mean, that was kind of a common thing. And I'm like, all right. So that was a no-brainer in naming it. Um, and, you know, I, I find... You know, if, if you've listened to any of the, the previous episodes, you know, we, there's a little bit of laughing, but it's kind of different than anything else I've ever done because I really want to understand, uh, you know, how the, how the guest thinks, what they're all about, um, you know, what's going on in their life. And then, unfortunately, you know, the commonality with everybody is that we're all kind of stuck at home and dealing with this on a bigger scale, if you have a family, if you have kids, it's even, it's even more intense. Um, and you know, as I was kind of crafting the show and then as this pandemic started to hit, I just, in my own mind, before you, I even read stats, I'm just like, mental health is going to be a major issue. Uh, I guarantee suicide is going to go up. Domestic violence is going to go up. Like anything that was already bad is going to be worse when you're stuck at home and you have no contact with anyone. So for the show through the exploration of like what we talk about, I always want to kind of veer it towards, okay, so what are you doing to, you know, to get around that, to, to, to feel better about it? How are you accepting this? Like, how do you get through your day? How do you function? Um, because it's not like me preaching mental health to them. It's I'm feeling better through this conversation. Uh, you know, so it's That's as your hopefully, therapy. yeah, it ends up being as therapeutic for me as it is for them. Um, because I think Rhonda, you remember when we had a conversation on, on, uh, on the show, like sometimes it's just not easy to talk about that stuff or you're just not asked very specific questions about it. It's just like, how you doing? Uh, surviving, you know, it's like the start of every work call, you know, it's the same question, the same joke. <laughs> so exhausting. It's like, yeah, we are surviving, but yeah. like, seriously, how do you get through how about your day? That weather? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Weather. And how are you doing during COVID? Okay, great. So now we have, another, safe? Stay safe. We have another 58 minutes to address. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, that's, that's, it started off being like, I just wanted to really get to know the guests on a deeper level and not ask like simple cliche questions. And then it's, it's still evolving um, into a more like real time, you know, instead of it being very general and like mental health in general, like we're all dealing with something very, very, very aggressive. And it's something that we as like a planet have not dealt with this in over a hundred years. So, um, I, so, I don't make it about pandemic, but like, it's obviously a big part of how people are living during this. Well, it's the, and it's part of the impetus for the podcast in general. So it's yeah. kind of woven interspersed so, in there. Yeah. Was the, pandemic the start of your personal mental health journey or what has it been for you no um 
you know, I'd say I've been dealing with uh, mental health issues, you know, in one way or another for 30 years. Um, you know, I think, you know, I started to notice something was off, but, you know, when I was in high school, uh, but what you know, was that like? Like, take us back to the high school it's like, Ferrari. It's one of those things where, like, why am I like so like anxious all the time, or why do I have like these weird mood swings? But like, you're a teenager. I know nothing about this, so I just think it's like normal teenager stuff. So I don't ever say anything. You know, you just kind of you just live your life. That's kind of like what most people do. You know, you oh man, sometimes I get bummed out. Happens to everybody. You know. And that in some cases is true, but I mean, so, you know, I've been on medication for not 30 years straight, but like on and off throughout that, that time span, um, you know, kind of trying to deal with it. And I think in my own mind, I thought that that was like the fix, um, which, you know, that's, that's even common today. I mean, I'd say now it's insane, like how rapidly a doctor will like prescribe you something and neither of you know what what's going on in your head. So um, I'd say for me, a lot of it is chemical. So like medication does the right medication and that's hard, like finding the balance of things that actually work because there are so many side effects that people go off this stuff because it's not worth it. You know, you gain weight. Um, you know, it's like those... <laughs> those commercials where like the commercial itself is like 20 seconds. And then the last 40 are the side effects, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and some of the side effects include oh the original condition. Yeah. Worse. That's, that's true. And or, yeah, you're the medication is for insomnia. And then the, the side effect is it cause insomnia. insomnia. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think obviously the other component of it is therapy and the problem that I came across, and I'm not saying that I've been in therapy for 30 years, but I mean, like anytime I would try, it's very hard to find one that's helpful for you. You need to find like a match. Um, and until way more recently, like within the last year, like I never really found one that, that truly helped. Like, and now I have, <clears throat> but I think it's because they call me on my shit. They challenge me. It's not just someone sitting there with a notepad listening to you and then, okay, your time's up. It's like, well, I could do that without you. You know, so um, when you get someone who's like, wait, wait a minute. Now, now that doesn't that doesn't register with me. Like you explain that a little bit more and then then it makes you kind of dig in because um, none of us are equipped to figure this out ourselves. You said you were feeling anxious as a teenager. Are you taking medication for anxiety or? Like, yeah. And I, you know what? What what's weird is for me, um, it's never been the same throughout life. Mm. So let's say, you know, obviously life circumstances affect some of your psyche, you know, that it doesn't mess with the chemical stuff, but I think the brain like kind of counterbalances. So the anxiety I was feeling was my brain was working really, really fast. And if stuff was happening, if I'm in a class and I've already picked up this material, like I want to move on, you know, it was like, so it wasn't, it was like life anxiety, situational anxiety, never really social anxiety. I was definitely like class clown. Like I could run a room if I needed to like stuff like that. Um, but you know, and then, but then it would, 
all of a sudden, like I would, my mood would tank, you know, and I would just be like bummed out. Um, I would still go out and do stuff and function, but, and it was, but it was like acting. It was like exhausting because you feel all those things. You have no idea why they're happening and you act as if, you know, you act like everything's normal. And I mean, after a certain amount of time, like, you know, I'd say within the last couple of years, I was just exhausted from like faking it, you know, like even in social situations, which are supposed to be fun. I was like stressed out because, you know, it's just, it's a real ass thing. And, you know, people don't, don't, some people like my parent, like my mom, it, it, like understands it, believes in it and stuff. But my dad, you know, he's in his seventies. He would never take a, take a pill or talk to anybody like ever. You know, so, so have um, you talked to your mom like about the like was there a point as a teen or maybe as a young adult where you had conversations with any family members about it and have there have there been well, I'll stop there. Like Well, I think I was, you know, most parents would probably chalk it up to being an obnoxious teenager. Myself include like I was just like I'm a I'm a teenager, you know. The thing is though and in retrospect, I wish I would have, I never said anything to like my friends because those are the people that you like confide in. But I was so uneducated about that. It was actually anything that I felt like it'd be weird if I was like asking friends, Hey, do you ever feel like super anxious? And, you know, or I didn't, even, I wouldn't even have known to use the word anxiety. You know, it was just Is, like, I get it, aggravated or frustrated, you know, like I, I wouldn't even, even know how to explain it to anyone else. Uh, as a teenage, as a group of teenage, well, it, was your friend group mainly male or was it pretty mixed? I mean, I, I'd say like that changed pretty rapidly, <laughs> you know, where, you know, we're, if we're talking about, <laughs> right. if we're talking about right. freshman year, yeah, none of us are with girls. Uh, but then by right. like junior, senior I mean, year, yeah, there was right. like ladies everywhere, you know, so it was. And then that was well, I, I'm, I, adventure. I was getting ready to assume that your group was all male and I was going to ask as yeah. teenage males, how For likely do you think that group would have been to respond or how yeah. would they have responded a, to you saying, A, I can't explain it. B, can, will they be able to relate if I can't explain it? And odds are, if it's going happening with them, they can't explain it. So I just mm -hmm. felt like I'd be like throwing out these things like these feelings and thoughts that I had no explanation for myself. And they'd be like, yeah, I got nothing, you know, or they'd were, think something was wrong with me. So I never, you know, I never said anything. Were you given medication at that time? Um, not right away. How um, old were you when you first got medication? Probably 17. Yeah. How old, How old were you when you first saw a therapist? Um, like probably the, either the, it was like either the end of freshman year or the beginning of sophomore year, I'd say, um, now, how did you that work out psychiatrist or yeah. But what was really weird, um, only, I only know that it's weird now because like now I've been in therapy in one, one, you know, in various capacities for years, but it was me and my parents like at first I didn't get to talk to this lady myself so i was like why would i, I you know and that's like setting yourself up for failure why mm -hmm. would i be 100 percent transparent and honest while my mom and dad are sitting here who are making me come here you know so you almost like resent 
the fact that you're there. Like there's, you know, there's something wrong with, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, it's, it's, are your brain just doesn't get it at that young age. You know, it's not supposed to. Um, and a lot of cases like puberty is what launches it. Mm-hmm. Like that's that, that puberty, like turns that part of your brain on that, that chemical imbalance. That's why like kids generally aren't like the dep- anxious. Yeah. But depressed, you know, I, I, I would imagine that's way less common, and it definitely was then. So it's this, it's this interesting, especially in the age, the time that you grew up. It's a, at a time where therapy is becoming a thing, but it's still not. And right. you certainly aren't talking about mental health, so we don't have the words. And and the, the meds too. No then, one, I didn't uh, know anyone on meds, and that's yeah. when they were like, that's when like the most popular or the the biggest one was like Prozac. That's yeah, that, totally. I mean, and, and that's, it was like thrown around And I mean, I, I was prescribed, uh, antidepressants, um, when I was 17 to your point, the quickness to, to prescribe medicine, I talked to the psychiatrist for 15 minutes and then he popped me some pills. Yeah. Um, and that Wait, was the, so end of that I'm curious but, on the, so on end of freshman year. So you, you, it, at some point you did talk about it and then you, it, and it went to therapy. Cause I, I know if I talked about it, been like the, Actually, I don't know what it would have been like if I'd have said how I felt about things. I have no idea. But like, we definitely didn't talk about anything around mental health in the in the house or in the family. So, I'm, like, what what was the conversation like, and how did it progress to therapy? Because to me, that's just and I, I don't think I don't see any road that I would have ended up in therapy as a high schooler. Yeah, and I I'm mean, not, and I think it's a good thing. I think that's an awesome thing. I'm just curious you know, like how that works. Conceptually, for you. yeah, in theory, yeah, it's a good thing. But if you have a bad therapist, it's it it's almost more damaging. I, I, I think that. because you know the medicate there is so you know the medication gets prescribed, and you're kind of like, oh, so this this is gonna fix it, like you know, and. I didn't have like the problem was the way that this thing started was like I was being like a jerk <laughs> at home. Mm. And so mm. it was it was pitched to this woman, me being difficult mm. with my mom and dad there. So like therapy never took a turn to where it was like focusing specifically on me and why are you acting like this and stuff like that. So it put a bad taste in my mouth to the point where I didn't even explore it for years because mm-hmm. I was just like, is this what therapy is? Mm-hmm. You know, I, until- I, had the, I had the same experience, man. Um, like, and it's, and I think that there's so much danger uh, to, to your point. I mean, puberty kicks off all of these things. And as we get older, we still get anxious and we still get depressive. Right. At the same time, you have hormones going out everywhere, oh, yeah. all new, your body doesn't know what to do with them. So it's exacerbated, and yet we treat it like, ah, oh, they're just a teenager. Like, mm-hmm. And we still do that to this day. We'll talk about it more with teenagers, but there's this over-index rather than an understanding of the balance, and then how do we work through it to teach the tools at I a think younger that's age part of the, versus the challenge giving, too. Right. Versus well, what people don't understand, right? People don't understand is like, it doesn't just appear at puberty. It's in your, it's in you, it's in your DNA. It's right. in your, the, your, your chemical makeup. It's amplified by puberty. So it's basically a combination of whatever underlying mental health issues that you have and puberty. And a teenager doesn't even know 
how to explain what's going on with anything. All the body changes, mental is way worse, way mm-hmm. more intense. Totally. But you don't even know that something's wrong. So I mean, like I read, that's why um, I think people in college a, started to like go see the counselor, like deep into college. Before then, people would just deal with it. You know, I never knew well, anyone that, who was in therapy. That kind of makes sense. And to your point, Keith, and actually to yours too, Ferrari. I think it's. Uh, I mean, look at what what brain science like. Look at what we've learned in the last five years, in the last ten years about the developing brain and the things that affect it. Like it's, and it's changing monthly. And so understanding, I mean, the, the teenage mind is a highly dynamic environment, uh, especially, and then you start piling in the external signals, which are coming at a rate that's way beyond what we grew up with. Um, like, how do you how how do you coach that from like all the things you're talking about the hormones right. the well, plus brain you know, development the balance I don't think people necessarily factor in like all the ancillary things you know where it's okay you've got a chemical imbalance you're going through puberty everything's changing but you're also like at the most impressionable point in your life so like stuff that's going on around you um, someone's saying you know, a pill's not going to help. You need to take a pill. You don't need to talk to anybody. Just get over it. You know, like you, you get that part or you get the way too sensitive. Oh, well, you know, and you're coddled. It's like, no, I need a balance. I need somebody to but ask those kind of things right to your point stick with you. Yeah, they do. Exactly. And that's how you approach mental health for the rest of your life. Unless you are fortunate enough to, and like, and I'm like an obsessive researcher because I'm, you know, I, if I know I'm going to walk into a doctor's office and they're just going to bust out a prescription pad, I know every medication that would be an option. I know everything about it. I know the side effects. I know the dosage. I know I've read, I read testimonials and I'll be like, I've read horrible things about that or odds are I've been on it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and over, if you think about it over like a 30 year span, like not that many new things are coming out um, or they're just a different version of the same thing. So um you know, I like to understand that. And then I'll actually say, you know, if I'm, I'm almost like interviewing, it's almost like I'm interviewing therapists for me to hire them to say, I, mean, like, I, I need, I need constructive criticism. I need feedback. I need to walk away from every session with an action item, something that I need to come back to. And if I was a lazy ass or if I didn't believe in it and I didn't do it, then call me out on it. You know, it's not like I need to be yelled at, but it's like, I don't, so, I can literally vent to myself, and let's, that's not let's, helpful. Let, I'm curious to dig in because, I mean, you said something very important, I think, that idea that how you first enter therapy. We've talked to some past guests on this. How you first enter therapy can paint how you pursue it, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a really bad therapist or someone who just sits down with you and gives you pills and then doesn't talk to you about anything that's going on, can like did that for me i mean it was 25 years before or 20 years before i saw sought a therapist again or your parents force you to do it which is a way worse a way worse situation yeah and whatever so so you'll create resistance how did you it's two two questions how did you come to the place where you got back into therapy and two you said something at the beginning it, it takes you have to find the right therapist. And I totally agree with that. How did you go about sticking to it until you found the right therapist? Um, well, you know, I think there's a lot of 
you know, it's kind of like I, I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of like real time things that are going on. So, you know, I felt like I was kind of running on, like it was on autopilot, like life wasn't great, life wasn't bad. Um, you know, I was, I had met someone, um, we were dating, like I, you know, I moved up to Madison from Chicago uh, to live with her for a couple of years until we moved back to Chicago. Um, you know, so everything was like, all right. Uh, you know, I wasn't in that horrible headspace. Um, but more recently, and I know this is dropping a bomb, but, um, you know, we decided that we were going to get uh, divorced. And I was like, obviously, that's trying on its own. You know, that's can its you, own. Can you, when was this? Uh, late 2019. Um, probably like a year ago. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's no way I was going to be equipped to deal with that on my own. There's not a chance. And then add in all the other stuff where as soon as like, you know, I don't know, you, it's my first time going through it. And to be honest with you, I have friends who have, but we've never really like talked about like, how did you feel right when it happened? It's more like trying to make them feel better about it, you know, mm. not bringing it up, which is so not me, but I'm just so unfamiliar with it. I just kind of was like, I'll go with what they're comfortable with kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but as soon as that happened, you know, like my, in my brain, I instantly felt like, uh, like I've, that, that's to me like a major life failure, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. I just put a lot, a lot on myself. And I'm like, man, it's time to, uh, definitely time to re-engage that whole therapy thing. How long were you married? Quick, quick. Um, I, well, technically I still am because as soon as like COVID hit, uh, that kind of, you know, <laughs> the, the paper part kind of. Sure fell by the wayside a bit it's a little hard to get a court date and stuff like that so um but we were married for well i mean now we're you know approaching a fourth year but mm -hmm. three years before the that topic came up but as soon as that happened um anything that i thought was like good or at least like tolerable that i dealt with throughout life all came back just because it's just kind of like you know i feel like i failed at something very important and now the anxiety's back. Now the depression's back. Now, like it's affecting my ability to function. It's affecting my ability to sleep. And I know that a pill isn't going to help. It may be, well, that's not true. That's the it helps with the chemical part. But you got I got a lot of other stuff that I'm not going to sit there and internet research and try to be a shrink for myself. So, and I was very fortunate that the first person I reached out to is my therapist now. Mm. Like she's great. She's mm. great. She calls me out on stuff. I always have an action. I always leave with something and then I come back and I'm like, yeah, I tried to do this, this, and this, this didn't, I still don't understand like what exactly you mean or doing it wrong or it's just not working or whatever, but yeah. So a couple things in there. Um, it's heavy. It is heavy. Uh, you've said, I think twice now, either that I'm or we're not equipped to do this on our own or you're not equipped to do it on your own as Jason how did that become it sounds like it's a thing that you you believe to your core like how yeah. if so if that's true how and why you know what i think that's really 
it's, it comes down to like who you are and um, like who you surround yourself with, because, you know, you hear a lot of people say that I tried it. It didn't work. Um, but unfortunately, that generally means that they had a bad one. Well, you know what? And I, and I, I, I don't, I'm not like throwing around the word bad lightly. It maybe is a bad fit for you or they don't have experience with exactly what's going on with you, which makes sense because we all have our own stuff going on. And sometimes it's a combination of things that is like, how do you even address this? I mean, that's definitely how it is with me. The thing is, you know, I think because even though it was a bad experience, I've been on medication and talking to people in one way or another for, you know, three decades, I know myself and I know when like I am, I am completely unequipped to deal with this right now. Um, but you've got to be open-minded to it too, you know? And unfortunately, like what, what happens if someone tries therapy seven times, they have seven bad therapists, they don't do it. And then they end up like offing themselves or something, you know, it's just unfortunate. And you need to have people who, when you tell them that you're on medication for depression or anxiety, when you tell them that you're in therapy and it's helping, they don't talk shit about it. They don't like push you down and be like, why do you, why do you even need that? It's mm, like, because not everybody can be as perfect you, as you, you, therapy? That's you know, like, yeah. So, um, I'd say like a lot of it is like being intuitive and knowing what's going on with me and when it's time to like, to dig back in and try and figure stuff out. Um, but also just, you know, having a good support system. I'm, I'm lucky. I'm fortunate in that way that people are supportive and not the opposite. And if anybody is, like the like that I don't need that kind of toxic stuff and they're out of my life or they've been out of my life, you know. So Roddy, you, do you think we're equipped for it? No. I just want to know why it's his framework. Yeah. I was just curious to get your well, uh, during, uh, uh, well, during no, our conversation that, you even said like you're finding out stuff about yourself. Yeah, it's just like, man, you know what? There's a lot of weird stuff going on that I don't know that I have any control over and I need to figure out why. And, you know, and I can't do it on my own. You know, it's just, just say, thinking that and saying that out loud is like not even a step. It's just all of a sudden, like something clicks and you're like, damn. And yeah, if your friends no, can't no, help right. you with it or your parents or whatever, then you need someone who literally went to school for this. <laughs> Completely agree. I think we're communal and, and I don't even, you know, I think some of it's the school part, some of it's therapy. I, I think I've had therapists I liked, therapists I didn't. I haven't had that, I, don't know, I think maybe a handful. And I think as I've gotten to know myself or as I've grown to different stages, that's changed what I wanted out of a therapist or what I needed probably. And then there were some that just weren't fits. Like per, I think personality matters, you know, and right. it's kind of like dating or friends like you got to get along to some point to where you trust and can share and are going to take the advice that's given or try it to your points um, um or at least you, listen, you hear it you know it's not like someone's yeah. talking at you and you're just like yeah can we get this over with it's like or sometimes they'll say 20 things and one is helpful good because that's one thing i wouldn't have come to on my own you know mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's there's a uh, a reality of taking like when we seek medical treatment, we often defer to authority. Mm -hmm. So our doctor, it could be the worst doctor on the planet, but they're a doctor. You're in their office, and you're not necessarily thinking he's an idiot. I or she, I'm gonna go find somebody else. You're like, oh no, I I have this terrible life threatening thing. 
and every other doctor says, no, you just stubbed your toe, right? Like we don't do that well as a, as a cognitive being, um, let alone when we're going to see somebody that says that could be bad. We don't know how to assess it. Like to your point, we're not equipped to necessarily handle these things on our own. And we go somebody that's not equipped to handle my stuff. Like, and then it's like, well, that's just a waste of time or I don't need to go find somebody else because they're all bad just because of this one bad one. Um, right. And we defer to that authority. I mean, it's Keith, I'm glad you asked effort. that because the reason I asked you, Jason, is I think that um, your willingness to be open to that is what's let you explore therapy and medicine and different avenues for finding what mental health looks like for you which will be a question later but i i just ask for the listeners because i think um i know i didn't have a i didn't have any kind of access point to therapy for a very long time i didn't have a way to to um embody that that sentiment to where i could go talk to somebody else about what's going on in my head so I think that could be helpful for somebody maybe who doesn't know what to do, but knows something is off. It's like, Hey, it's okay. None of us are equipped for this. Right. There's a lot coming at us. And two things. One, like, I think if people were more practical about it um, and, and approach it, like, you know what? Um, a psychologist obviously is a different kind of doctor or not necessarily a, like an MD where a psychiatrist is an MD who still can listen to patients and prescribe and stuff. But, you know, I had severe back problems over a 10 year span and then ended up, did everything, exhausted every option and then ended up doing like this, the spinal surgery. But like, that was something where like, it was a defined ailment. We tried various things to avoid surgery. Surgery was the only thing and surgery worked. Like if people can like think of it that way. Whereas if you're, if you literally take the effort to book an appointment with a psychiatrist or with a therapist. I mean, you walk in that door and be like, I'm here. Like I booked this. It's, it's like any other ailment, but it's just the one that controls everything. The most important one is your ability to survive, function, thrive, feel joy, sleep, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, I think it, it gets a really bad rap sometimes or you feel like it's your last resort kind of thing because you're you just definitely can't deal with it on your own um so you know it's but that's you got you, you know for lack of a better reference honestly like i respect the help you gotta have some damn balls man you gotta be like mm. i can't do this mm. please help me like you know and you're not asking someone that you even know so like that should at least wipe away some of if you have if you have it any kind of humility because that's a big problem, man. People's pride and humility get in the way of their ability to get better mentally, and it's unfortunate, you know. But it, it but it, it, it's common, you know. It's it is what it is. And the, the narrative, the narrative of of mental health has definitely improved in the last five years. That's why uh, I think but it's people who are younger are in a much better environment now. Uh, well, it's kind of like. You know, like you've got five-year-old kids who are on antidepressants. So yeah, that's like a that's, little, that's, uh, that's a little like extreme. little yeah, extreme. Yeah. But like the fact that, you know, you know, in the, in the eighties and 
early nineties when I'm dealing with the late eighties, early nineties, when I'm dealing with this, like I didn't, I, you didn't even hear about kids in therapy. No one was on medication. Mm. No one was on anything. Um, Whereas hey, now, but five-year-olds around antidepressants is kind of an upgrade because they used to be paint chips with lead. So yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're getting better. <laughs> we're getting just, we're just getting. sniffing sharpies and highlighters. It's funny. I was talking to one of my groomsmen a while back, and I grew up with some misfits. Right, um, my closest friends. Like we, we all had some things that we were dealing with, and they especially had some things like i mean the stories of the, the the attempts the ideas the the times where like it's just it's horrifying to think for them and i look back on it i'm like man you guys never dealt with any of that and they look back and go man you were on medication we always thought you were the one that was messed up right um and it's it's that well, technically, uh, yeah, but I'm trying to address it. <laughs> but I'm trying to you were, it, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to get to something. And and that's kind of the the, the mentality. It's it's it, it's just very difficult. Now, it leads to a question. You said it in the 80s and the 90s, and you alluded to your parents, and you kind of gave a, a, a bit of a suggestion to, to how it was. But what was it like growing up? before all this was happening as it was happening i mean you grew up in the suburbs of chicago so what was yeah what was that? i mean honestly um very i'd say on par with normal suburban living um not no thankful you know thankfully no like traumatic experiences or anything like that it was pretty normal you know i went to uh catholic school for six years um, and then at junior high went into my uh, public middle school and <clears throat> well, it wasn't called middle school then, but public seventh and eighth and then public high school. Uh, that was all pretty normal. I'd say like the biggest life shift, um, for me was I'm, my younger brothers were born. My, my, I have twin younger brothers mm. when I was like almost nine. So you know, my thunder was stolen. I wasn't running things anymore. You know, I went from the boss to like, <laughs> he's fine. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, they, they, thank, thankfully they were, they gave me anything that I ever needed, like from a emotional, you know, support standpoint and everything. So no complaints there. Um, I'm sure that that did something, you know, and I've kind of talked about it in therapy, but like, what's weird is, you know, when you're, when you have, the, uh, brothers who are that or siblings who are that much younger than you, like it got to a point where they're kind of experiencing like grade school and all these things. And I'm at bars, you know, like that kind of life Delta. And then as soon as they got old, as soon as they turned like 18, we got super close because it was like the first time I could literally identify with them. I could talk to them about senior year and, you know, they were kind of starting to go to parties and like, so, and we're very close still to like now. So like when, when we try and dig back in and, you know, when, in therapy and ask like, did that do anything? It would almost be easier if I like hated them <laughs> right now and then be like, damn right mm. it did. But like mm. now I can't even put myself in an eight-year-old's headspace. 
Um, so I know it changed something because I went from being an only child, not one new brother, but two at the same time, which when, demanded a lot of attention. So when you, how do you look at trauma? Um, well, I think there, there's probably not probably there's, you know, I think there's like varying severity in it. You know, it could be something major, like a horrible accident or abuse of some kind, be it physical or mental or both. Um, you know, I think that's the, the high scale stuff, but, uh, you know, I think a trauma could be like all of a sudden you, you, you were like the only child for a long time, almost approaching like double digit years. And then you've got to share everybody with them, you know? So I think that could be labeled as a, a I think trauma is a pretty broad term. I think I, I mentioned it more in the nothing horrific happened to me kind of thing. But yeah, I, I, I'm glad you clarified that. So how do you look at it, Keith? Yeah. Cause I, I, I've had this reckoning with trauma, um, in my last year. So I've been seeing a therapist for about a year, um, for the first time since I was in college. And, um, one of the first conversations that we had was about trauma and you know i think socially we have the tendency to think oh trauma like we love to compare right we're we're social beings we love to compare each other to each other and ourselves to others it is and, actually how our brains work too yeah and it's that it's you know there's the that mentality of well i know i'm hungry but hell i could be i could be starving in a village without food Almost competitive to yeah. a point. And, yeah. and what it does is it creates, it creates a, a, in some cases, sure, if you're in a good positive space, it can help move through and you could say, yeah, I mean, it could always be worse, right? But at the same time, that sentiment of it could always be worse belittles yourself to whatever it is that you're dealing with. Right. Well, yeah, because it's your... It happened to you. So I don't care what yeah. happened to somebody else because That's, what does that have to do with it? And trauma and yeah. trauma, especially as children, manifests in so many different ways. And yes, there are some really, really extreme things that we could all look at and go, damn, that would I don't know how I would process that. But then everybody else has their own, and this is, you know, going to the whole language of of English, we don't have enough words to describe the different spectrums of what trauma would be. But I asked that because you talked about that situation and it immediately makes me think like that would be very traumatic for a nine-year-old, especially, but I don't know that, you know, or I, I would actually maybe disagree on the, on definitions of trauma. I don't know that we need more definitions of trauma. We just need a, a, a more, a more clear understanding of the fact that what's Big T trauma, traumatic for me, or little T traumatic for me, is has nothing to do nothing with how do you with think you. about it. Yeah. Like that's right. the only thing that we need. And yeah. even you saying like nothing horrific happened in my life, maybe to an eight-year-old something horrific did happen right. in yeah. your life yeah. that like, you would look at now with an adult prefrontal right. cortex and say that right. wasn't horrific, but that well, doesn't mean that an eight-year-old thought that. As yeah. Keith was talking, like what what kind of popped into my head, and I've been <laughs> I've been watching like a lot of random just sci-fi stuff lately just to like you know as a blind like mindless 
just get out of my my own head kind of stuff. No escapism. Um, yeah, but I was just thinking like maybe a, a better way to put it um, would be like some kind of a life altering event, which means it could be on a small scale or on a big scale. But I just mean that like some kind of thing kind of stuck in your brain at age eight, seven, six, whatever. And it changed your timeline. It kind of like, you know, it, and the only way to ever realize that, because why in the hell would you ever be able to figure that out on your, I mean, like, honestly, yeah. like even get remotely close to that is someone who's trained to do this, to hear you say stuff about, let's talk about your childhood. And they'll be like, ah, and they, they know, and then they dig and yeah. then you figure it out. Cause otherwise you'll never get, you'll never know. You'll go, you go to your grave, never have any idea that something that happened when you're 11. Yeah, because when that back. timeline happened, your brain development changed. So you're you or are you think of things. Yeah, you're unable to you're unable to see. It. I mean, you can't see it, you know, literally. Right. But like you you can't think it. You can't because because your thinking is directly related to that thing. So it's it's a blind spot that right. somebody else would have to shine a light on. I like that. That's do good. you do you then? You kind of said this. Do you avoid? reconciling the impact of your brothers being born because you love them now? Um, no, I've talked about it. Um, I just don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, not being asked the, um, the right questions, you know, like, but honestly, like I've never, we've never, and this isn't the first therapist I've had that I've broached that topic with. Because it, I always like they make me think back. I'm just like, all right, what happened when I was like younger that was, you know, not like I fell off my bike or you know, like normal kid stuff. That's obviously a significant event, especially like that late in life, like having that big of a separation. But like, I've never been able to get to if that, like, really, I that. really I altered that. my life. So I'm definitely. I don't not, remember my childhood very well. Did like against in digging general. in on it. I just, I like, no one's ever really been like, all right, that explains a lot, <laughs> you know, like it is a thing, but I don't know if it's like, I don't think there is a thing. Honestly, I've got multiple things. So <laughs> do you, do you remember much of your childhood in general? Like, I don't, I don't remember any of mine mm. or much of it at all. I'd say the the stuff that I remember most, um, you know, cause it was, like every day was pretty similar, you know, it's, you, go to school you play you do your homework you take a shower you wake up rinse and repeat weekends you might have sleepovers and stuff but i remember the sports Hmm. like that's the easiest stuff to remember from childhood like starting to play football in like fifth grade and then playing basketball and running track and you know like i that's like so easy to go back to like i could go back to specific games specific plays um just because i think that's it's like that's so tactical you know like it's it's not uh, I remember. Well, also, you've got uh, adrenaline and other brain things happening that mm-hmm. kind of right. hard code. Well, I think it, it, for it you, just but... as much as like we were talking about life altering events or trauma or anything like those highs and lows in sports totally affect affected my life, my competitive nature, like everything. It's all like a big part of like sport. Well, at least sports was a way to like express it, harness it, you know. Otherwise, like random adrenaline and competitiveness and like weird life situations, it's just awkward for everybody. <laughs> Why is that the wine so tasting? Weird? I'm gonna win this bitch. I'm gonna drink the shit out of that rosé. Uh, yeah. yeah, Keith, do you I remember, remember much of yours? I, I remember way more than I than I need to. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, see, some people like my lot. siblings are like that. They remember it. 
and I it's yeah. like a blank spot for me. And yeah, so, well, like, when like therapists it. ask me to go back, I'm like, uh, but they, well, I they found a couple modalities yeah. that work. Yeah, they need to but get specific or or just listen to what you say and then be like, let's let's explore there, that. There are a couple of very very big moments um, in my life that I have zero memory of. Um, apparently, mm. when I was eight, I would I threatened to kill myself. Uh, it was the first time I ever went to therapy. And I have no memory of it. I have memories from when I was six, when I was five. I remember the slide in the jungle gym and the way my preschool looked. I remember the where the cribs used to be. Like, I remember all that stuff. I do not remember this. And there's another one on the positive side. I've, I've read about it. Some things that I wrote that I started like a snow shoveling business with some friends and it was for one winter, like clearing people's driveway. No memory of it. No, I think I a common misconception is weird. Is a common misconception is uh, that people only repress negative memories. Oh yeah, like, totally. You, know, you can repress any memory. Yeah. You know, that's a success story and you've repressed it somehow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I have, and I have no, no memory of it. It's weird. Um, but yeah, I, I, have, I have a lot of, a lot of, I, where my big memory gaps are, are after I moved to Chicago. Um, well, I have a lot of memory gaps from living in Chicago. <laughs> Does that have anything <laughs> not to do with? Not, not. Oh man, I have a lot of Lincoln Park memory relapse. Um, so one of the things that you brought up is the social environment and you've kind of danced it a little bit. Um, like the people you surround yourself with, have you, like, what's that journey been like for you relative to the managing of your mental health and where is it at today? Um, well, I mean, like I can use, well, I mean, well, just think of it this way. I mean, like you guys have known me for a long time and, and, and we've obviously like hung out socially. So like the, that Jason that you guys know, was pretty much how I was all through high school, you know, college, my young life, like younger twenties, and then like meeting you guys. Great singer, by the way. Great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but like, so that was always like social butterfly. I don't mind. I, I never craved being the center of attention, but I didn't mind it when it happened. If like I was doing something entertaining, you know, I didn't want to just be the guy. Um, but it happened kind of organically. Um, but as I've gotten older and as like life changes happen, you know, like, well, get it, just getting married, moving to, from Chicago, moving from my comfort zone to Madison, coming back to Chicago and then really not, you know, it was, it was just so expensive. And like, I was kind of like going through the motions and going to bars, but I was always like, I don't want to go somewhere crowded. You know, like, and it's not like getting old stuff. I was, I've literally developed the social anxiety. Um, and you know, I, I, I don't know, I don't know what did it. I think it's just that the stuff was starting to go on in my head where I couldn't hide it anymore. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, you're almost like acting, you know, I was still like, they, I, people were still wanting me to like, not, I'm not like a stand up, but you know, like screw around and tell jokes and do all that stuff. And I could do that to a point, but then you put me into like a super crowded, loud environment. I'm just like, I don't, I'm not feeling it. And then, so you, you know, did you kind of feel like you had to be on all, all the, the time. time? I still feel like that. 
you know, even in work meetings and stuff, you know, but it's easier now. Cause I'm like sitting in, but like, well, I'm not, I'm wearing like normalish pants right now, but I'm usually in like, thank you for, pajamas. for this podcast, yeah. Jason. I'm wearing pajamas normally. No, the camera's not on and I can like shoot a joke off here or there. No pressure. Um, but like, I do have a, I do have a pretty big concern about how long this whole thing is going to last and what it's going to be like on the other side, because I went into it with social anxiety and now, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we're probably minimum a year me being in an apartment by myself, you know? So it's, it's, it's weird to have like social anxiety and not be with anyone, but I like it. I was a part of me before the pandemic hit, you know, I was already dealing with it. Um, and the way to like really deal with it is just don't go out or if I do go out small groups, you know? So I, so I guess what I, what I mean in the question is like with your friends, you talk about talking about this thing with people and you can surround yourself with people who are like, oh, dude, come on, man. Like, what? what? When you say this thing, you mean like what? mental issues or yeah, mental, mental or... like you're going to therapy, you're, you're on medication, you're seeking to find peace within yourself and you're surrounded by like, what's that evolution? And, and are you surrounded obviously virtually by people now who are more supportive of it? And have you had to get rid of people in your life? Like what, what's that ecosystem look like for you? Well, I would say um, like a big thing that happened for me, like I didn't move to the city until I was 28 and that was almost like a life reset for me. Mm. Um, I didn't have, I wasn't surrounded by like negative people or people who didn't believe in it. But at that time I also wasn't like, it was not dramatically affecting my life. Um, you know, the, the people that I grew up with who I wasn't necessarily afraid to bring it up with, but I didn't see any commonality. Like if, if I could tell that somebody else was going through something, then I could kind of like see if there was a parallel there. Um, but like, I could tell a big difference now with those people. Um, they all have kids and that opens up your brain. I mean, you guys both, I don't, I do not, but you guys, I know you guys both have kids that completely opens up your brain to trying to not only keep your own life in check, but make sure that you can do everything for like another person. So I could see, um, a significant amount of empathy come out of these guys that I grew up with that Mm. they were never not, they were never mean to me, never looked down. on me, never said a word, just didn't talk to them about it. But now I could call up and they've told me I could call up any single one of them. And I have, um, you know, and, and talk about it because, you know, some of them have already gone through divorce. Um, but all of them know that like, especially now I can just tell there's such a, a fragility to like my core group of friends and my family. Cause we're in such a weird thing. And all we want to do is like see each other and hug each other and do like what we used to do. Um, so it's just, it's like, it's just amplified so much when the stuff that you would normally lean on to help isn't really an option. So, but I mean, man, I, I swear, you know, it's, it's drag. I think we've joked about it a few times about like zoom and stuff, but it has kind of been a lifesaver. Um, just especially with my friends with kids, I understand that they don't want to risk anything, but at the very least, if I could see their face and they could see mine and they can see how I I'm reacting. And sometimes I lose it, you know, 
it happens. But I'm also that's also something I'm not ashamed of or afraid of either. Like if I want to cry, I'm going to cry. You know, like it is what it is. So I do feel like anyone, if if that was ever a concern of mine with the with an old group of friends or my original, I should say, group of friends, um, it's not now. Like, mm-hmm. and that's every single person and anyone who has ever been like just a just a shithead. Like they they just. Or were let go for whatever reason. They you know? found them. They found their ways out. Yeah, people. Of the group. People who yeah. are going to be like shitty about it generally yeah. are shitty. Right? About even if it's, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, that, that's just necessarily... their perspective, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not what? like I'm like you. You judge me. You're out. I you love know? you. You're amazing. What? You're seeking therapy, you idiot. Yeah, <laughs> right. Ah, what right. A, you're a god. You're you're. Yeah. Uh, there's something yeah. wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so on the. On the divorce thing, I forgot I want to ask you one thing, and it's really raw. It's so you may, if you don't want to answer this, if you don't want to go there, it's fine. Um, you, you mentioned it feels like a big failure, and you said, mm-hmm. I think you said that twice. How are you? No, not how are you? Where are you with reconciling that or dealing with that fact or like that, not fact, that sentiment yeah, like, yeah. of failure? And like maybe even before answering that, like what is like, what do you mean by saying it feels like a big failure? Well, I feel like it, you know, it's kind of like when you, you know, it's, it's one of life's biggest undertakings, you know, it's one of life's biggest commitments to, you know, commit yourself to another person. And obviously there's no guarantees that it's going to completely work out. Um, you know, life, just life changes. Um, but personally, you know, like it does feel like I, I honestly, I don't know what other way to look at it. It feels like I failed at something, you know, there was nothing like no, no cheating, no anything. It's just like, you know, it's like the, like a girl, girl apart, different interests kind of thing scenario, you know, it's, it still sucks, but it sucks less that it's not like someone was like some bad thing happened, you know? Um, but so in terms of that, it harder to, deal with though like harder to understand think, yeah yeah no it's it's no it's it's harder to get over it right or it's hard it is harder because like think about it if you are not if you're in a relationship or if you're it's a friendship or it's a job or something and it's just like the band-aids just ripped off like you're like i don't i don't need that person in my life this is almost good news you know mm-hmm. i feel like that's always easier like the fight the thing like that is is a natural breaking point and you you go separate ways, but like we're still she's like my closest she's like my best friend, hmm. you know. So that's been a positive and been a negative because you know mm-hmm. like I still have her. She knows me better than anybody, but you know, fortunately, like there's so much time has passed. That's like the only thing that's healing, at least in this situation, is like the time. You know, you get used to that this person could still be in your life in some capacity, but not in the traditional husband wife capacity. Um, you know, and I actually flipped, well, I was having this conversation with my therapist. We've had it multiple times because whenever I bring up Trish, she'll, um, I can tell that she like, it's not taking a physical note, but is like waiting for me to finish my sentence so she can pounce kind of thing. And she actually was like, why are you being so like down on yourself and down on yourself? I'm like, it's not like every time we talk, I'm like, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I'm like, but you know what? I need you to allow me to feel like this because what am I supposed to do? Just list just because you keep telling me that I, I don't feel like a failure that all of a sudden it's just going to change, you know? So Mm. 
she let me kind of do that because I don't do that in, it's not like when we have the conversations, I'm just negative about myself like the whole time. So that's the only time that she really calls me out on being negative. And that I just told her, I feel like I'm being objective about it. Like this is legitimately one of the emotions I feel about it is I failed at something that I really, that, that, you know, that I seriously committed to and put effort into, you know? So I think it's my it's and, a natural and reaction. Outside of the emotion, it's a fact that it, it didn't work. Like it right. just, yeah. Right. You know, huh. and it's, you know, it just seems like, I guess it's just on a bigger scale. You know, I could start mm-hmm. a project and fail at achieving that project. And it's not like I need therapy for it. This is something that share, this is a, a, with another human, right. you know? <laughs> so, uh, I take yeah. it a little bit more seriously, but yeah. So, uh, I mean, it I, thankfully, thank you it doesn't like, that, man. um, you know, honestly, the funny thing is outside of a handful of, of people, because I've been trying to, like, I don't want to just COVID has been a bit of a bitch because like, I wanted to respect people yes. and I wanted to tell them face to face. I don't want this to be in a text. But it got to the point where I was able to tell certain people I knew it wasn't going to stay. So I actually ended up having to like try to get people to do these. And if they couldn't text them about it. But I mean, this is literally the first public space I've talked about it. And I, I don't, I don't have shame about it. You know, it sucks, but you know, that's like I said, this is all therapeutic. So what's you mentioned the word, the word that has been very defining for my life, shame. Um, what's your relationship with shame been throughout the decades or what, what is it now? Whatever, however you want to take it. You know, what's what's weird is shame is, shame's a tricky one because, you know, especially on the front end, if you're, you know, like Keith is like way earlier than me, we're talking about like eight, you know, but I'm like 14. Um, and I don't know what shame means. I have no clue. I don't know, like mental health. I don't know any of this stuff. Like, I don't, I don't know anything like the shame I feel maybe started to come on way later in life where I'd be like, I'm here now. Like this is, I'm here in this, but like, maybe I got let go from a job or whatever, or get a, you know, you're getting a divorce or whatever. It's my, I, I look back. It's like the, in retrospect, if I would have done this differently. And then I feel like deep shame that like I made that stupid ass choice and now I'm here now. You know, so like if I have not necessarily identified shame all throughout, it's always when I like look back that I'm like, yeah, that's this, that totally screwed everything up or, you know, mm-hmm. it sent me in a different direction. It's one of those life altering things, but I mean, like, so I guess I take that word like very seriously where like I look at time frames versus one little moment. Like, man, I was an idiot for like four years, you know, <laughs> like just, just something like that. And then I feel deep shame about it, you know? Um, but then it's also like, you're feeling shame and you identify that you feel shame, but there's literally nothing you can do about it. Cause you're talking about something that happened 10 years ago. Um, so it's like this, it's like running on a treadmill sometimes with this, you know, you look back and you feel like crap about something, but there's nothing you could, there's no atonement. There's nothing you can do about it. But if you internalize it, that's what messes everything up. So like, if I start to feel like crap about something, I get it out. I can't let it fester. Cause all that does is make it just, it makes it so much worse. How do you get it out? Do you call your therapist? Do you text your therapist? Like what, what's your release uh, if, mechanism? If it's, if it's, you know, generally if it's not, it's never, 
not like I want to say never, but for the most part, it's not something that's like really like I need, I need, uh, I need to work on this like immediately. Like I can oh. wait for, for my therapy appointment, gotcha. but if it's something like pretty traumatic, um, or, you know, something that I'm like, man, I really need to talk to someone. Like I have some, like my, my brothers, I have some, some close friends that I can reach out to. And, and Trish, just because like she, you know, being married to someone, they know they're going to know so much more than anyone else in your life ever. Um, so, and so if it's something that she is aware of from the past or whatever, she'll be a go-to too. And I'm really thankful for that, you know, because that would have, I think divorce is one thing, but like having that person kind of ripped from your life, I think would be, at least in my case would be worse because then I lose, like, I lose someone that I can like open up to, um, you know, now more than ever. You know, this is a very lonesome time. So having people that you're close to that know you, so I don't have to give them damn context. I could just say this, this thing's bothering me again, you know? So. How, yeah. are, how are you feeling today, man? Um, I feel pretty good. You know, like uh, I started off, <laughs> I started off my day. It was a real hoot. Um, I have to do, um, I have to, I have to get injections for, um, like several months ago, I was starting to feel really just off, like, um, physically. And it turned up like I went to, I went, did all these tests, went and talked to a specialist. I don't know. I have this thing called like ischemia, which basically means, um, you have cholesterol, like high cholesterol, but it starts to deposit itself in places. So it was like, it, um, in my, I'm around my pituitary gland near my heart, uh, near my lungs, like in, like in my liver, like it just happens. So I get these injections to like break it up. Mm. But now due to COVID, they don't want, if it's not urgent, they don't want you going in there. So I had to be taught how to do it to myself. That was mm. a, that's how I started my day. <laughs> so after that, everything is super right No, but, um, <laughs> No, but I had, a, I, I wrapped up a huge project. I've got a lot of, you know, um, I feel good about kind of this, how the work week went. And I, obviously I was definitely looking forward to this. Like this is, this is fun for me, you know, because I, I think podcasting is, it's not just something that everybody does or everybody should do. Like you could, that is like kind of how people approach it. But like, I, you know, <laughs> I like people who plan research, have structure care about how it sounds, how it looks, you know, and plus I know you guys, so it's a good well, day where you, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I, I, uh, we have just a few minutes to wrap, but Rodney, did you have another question? Yeah. Just real quick on that. Cause you ended with this being fun and thank you. Like, thank that, you. Yeah. A compliment. Um, something you had brought up earlier about your own podcast is the work versus fun element. And like, yeah, it's starting to feel a little bit more like work trying to get it back to feeling more like fun. Um, is that like, is that just started happening or where are you? With I'd that? say, so I have, um, <laughs> this is a really ironic thing that I'm about to say, but so I have one recorded that I need to, you know, edit and put out. And it was with, uh, guys that these guys who do this podcast called language of bromance, who are like kind of improv guys, super funny. And they like, we kind of got connected. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever done the, uh, the follow Friday hashtag. Um, 
uh, and then uh, there's another hashtag called Pottern Pottern Family. So if you do follow <laughs> Friday, and if but whenever you put out an episode, put Pottern Family, and then there's a, a Twitter handle that's called that who puts it out so other podcasters find you. Hmm. So that happened oh. that happened with this show, but we never actually were able to have them on when I was doing the Abaticola Ferrari discuss everything. So I had them on mine. Um, so. When I say it needs to be fun, and I literally imp- interviewed improv guys, and we were laughing our asses off the whole time. I just, I don't know. I feel like I want this, my show, to not just be helpful, helpful for me. So I'm trying to figure out ways, and you know, I think a big part of it is guests um, who are outside of my comfort zone, outside of my wheelhouse. So I can just ask a couple of questions and they can just go and teach me and my listeners about what they're all about. Um, Mm. And so I think, you know, right now it does, it just feels like a, it feels like a job, you know, I mean, you know, just booking people, getting them to getting them to commit, you know, making sure that you, the episode, you know, goes well from a conversation standpoint, but also, you guys, we've talked about this off off interview, but like logistically, the ability and the platforms to record these things, sometimes it's just a complete nightmare. And then I have to spend three hours editing a 45 minute interview. Yeah. You know, so, so it's, it, there's a little frustration there and stuff, but I mean, like, I really want to, I kind of put it on pause a bit just so I can tinker with the format and be more strategic about guests. Cause I think now more than ever, myself included anyone who listens to my show any new people that come along like we all need a different perspective on life um but we also need to hear not only how people are dealing with the negative but i want to talk to people who are super positive too because i don't think that way all the time i'm not built that Mm -hmm. way um and i want to make sure that like i've mentioned this to to my friends to my family to to trish like I want joy back in my show. Like I want to feel joy. And for a while there, I wasn't. So, mm. you know, yeah. I want to figure took out me, how to get back there. Took me a long time to rewire that hard. mentality. I it totally, really is it's hard because yeah. it, it almost sometimes feels like work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's just because that means you take it seriously though also. So that yeah. is, there is, there are positives to oh, yeah. that. It feels like work. Cause there's a, there are work elements to there it. There is the work element. Anything that I got to book guests yeah. and Yes. Edit. Well, yeah, you guys, I mean, Hey, guests are coming to you now, but I'm, t- uh, I'm still, I mind, my show's new. I'm still hunting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a hunter. <laughs> so, so we, we always wrap every show with one final question as we hit our time. Mr. Rodney. Yeah. Thank you for just, thank you for just, just some given this space uh, is really deep and like mm-hmm. just also, I don't know if it's your, the dulcet tone of the Ferrari, but it's just like calm. It's like very calming, but like r- really deep and some really heavy stuff, but thanks for sharing. And, and yeah, kinda I, uh, you know, I know that when we, when we talk before you kind of, and you even mentioned it once during this, like if it's something I don't want to answer and I was just, I was kind of thinking to myself over the last couple of days, like, what would I not answer? Like, what would I not want to answer? I couldn't come up with anything. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, like I appreciate, uh, you know, you guys asked thoughtful questions and then like insightful follow-ups and stuff. It's, it was a very, it's a very 
easy environment to feel relaxed. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah, no, so I appreciate it. You guys Thanks, are, man. you guys are great. It was, uh, this was awesome. What's, uh, what's, what's the final, what was that? The, the final, final question, question is <laughs> what would you like to leave the audience with? What would you like to have them think about as we, as we sign off? listen to my show no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, i'm kind of kidding no um <laughs> check it out for sure <laughs> honestly um i think that the only thing that's more important at least in my life and i'm i've been trying to share this with everybody i know like outside of reading because like people you need some non-digital something like something that doesn't involve a phone a tv a a laptop. Turn yeah a you need a, you need to like you need some kind of physical like real reading kind of thing because i feel like people get away from that and then chaos ensues um but find podcasts to listen to um because it's become so, like a way more productive part of my life by finding people who like i listen to comedian ones for obvious reasons but like i said about reading the comedians books you get like all this deep stuff that they get into that that leads to like their comedy and it makes so much sense so then when you see them again like oh my god now i can i totally identify with that bit um but then you know just listen to any like people who i like the historical ones i sometimes i'll listen to i know rodney you mentioned on on my show um, that you listen to like all the sci-fi ones and stuff. Periodically, I'll check those out, especially ones about Marvel because I just I'm obsessed with those damn movies, you know. Like, <laughs> um, but I love it because it takes you out of your headspace, but you always find something you can relate to, especially on the good, well, like when there's good interviewers, when there's a good open-ended question, not just yes or no crap. Um, and I find, actually, we talked about this on the show too. I finally figured out a way that I'm not taking things unintentionally and incorporating it into my show. Like I think I think we specifically talked about where I was trying to craft not your parents' basement show. And I was I purposely didn't listen to podcasts for a certain amount of time. So all of a sudden my show was like an amalgamation of five shows that I listen to on a regular basis. Mm. But now I've that I've stopped that and now I just listen and appreciate. Like I appreciate it. I'll be like, oh, that's a smart way to ask a question. Like that, I'll take that away, not structure, bits, concepts, like questions and how people react and how to make it feel like a safe space um, where you're going to get better answers. It's going to be more engaging. So um, read and listen to podcasts. Find them. You're gonna. You won't regret it. It's it's such a crazy popular medium now, but when you find a good one it's kind of like game changing they're they're amazing i'm i'm so glad they exist and that we're allowed to do stuff like this